Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Redeemer Anglican Church podcast. I am your host, Brandon. Uh, with me today is Father, Pastor Gary Ball. Um, and today we're going to be talking about a difficult or could be a difficult subject um, in light of all that's been going on in the country and the world over the last two or three weeks um, with George Floyd and protests and Black Lives Matter. We're going to be talking about uh, race and different things, but but specifically to how we as a congregation deal with it and talk about it and wrestle with it. Uh, and so we wanted to just take a chance to sort of I don't know, lay out what we're going to be talking about as a, as a congregation. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to turn this over to Gary, who will be leading the conversation, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Hey, Gary, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me again, Brandon. I'm really excited to be able to share with the congregation about some of the things that we're, uh, how we're responding to the, to like, as you said, the difficult things going around the country right now. And, and um, I think that people are curious um, to see what the what our kind of corporate um, way of addressing this is that goes beyond kind of our own individual responses. Have you had a lot of people that have um, have asked? I'm assuming you've had a lot of people ask you about this and how we address it. Yeah, I, just just a few. So after I announced that we were that I was commissioning a, a group to deal with it, I did get some responses of people wanting to be a part of that. Um, and then a couple that have said, "Hey, we we haven't heard a whole lot, so could you tell us a little bit more about what's going on?" And there's just been a couple of of those. But I think that if there are a couple of people asking, there's probably some more questions. Um, also, just as you know, I can announce it, for instance, on the live stream, but not everyone's there. Or I can announce it during um, our Eucharist gathering on Sunday, but not everyone's there. So I think it's just helpful to talk about it in as many different outlets as possible to try and get it out. Yeah, for sure. I, I To be perfectly honest, I, I didn't know we had a, a, a committee on on relations uh, mm-hmm. yeah. forms. So this is yeah. good. I mean, it's a conversation and an ongoing dialogue, of course. So um, that's good. Yeah, and I I've um, commissioned Jonathan Atkinson, who obviously leads our music and a lot of our art initiatives, um, to lead this group because racial relations has been. If anyone knows him, they know that that's really his heart. And so I'm excited for him to be able to form a team and, and of a lot of people that have already inquired about it and to be able to talk more in depth about this. My goal, um, if, if if anyone listening has heard some of the things that I've said about it already, uh, my goal is to not simply make a emotional response or statement that goes away when everything goes back or the the tensions and the motions die down. I want to make sure that we do this right and do it in a way that lasts. And so that if or when this happens again, that we're not um, sitting here again saying, well, this time we're going to get serious about it, you know? So, and I might be jaded a little bit in that regard because, you know, I, I guess Talk is cheap, so to speak. And so I don't, uh, when, when it's easy to look at social media and stuff like that and, and, and just kind of be jaded and say, well, you know, here we go again, everyone's sort of doing their thing and saying what they say. 
And I'm just, I just talk is cheap. And I want us to um, lead the way as a church in, in actually digging in and doing something about it. Yeah. And I think that this is, um, I agree with you. It's easy to get jaded. Um, number one, don't look at social media. That's a good, good place to start. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have, um, I, I, like you remember the 92 riots and, um, you know, and the, and the various, you know, Trayvon Martin and the different, uh, you know, Ferguson and the different protest movements that have come out of this. I mean, the birth of Black Lives Matter. But for some reason, this one feels very different to me. I've had a lot of conversations with people, uh, I have a very close fraternity brother actually that um, who was the only black guy in a fraternity, and he has really brought this conversation to the forefront with a lot of alums within our community, uh, it, it, which feels very different. I don't think he would have spoken up 10, 15 years ago, but I, I don't think that this is going away. I think that th- at least it's definitely not going away in the black community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that too. I, I think that potentially uh, social media is such a way of life for us now. I think that that's certainly heightened the conversation um, and, and kind of kept it in, in people's spaces. Um, so other than that, I don't really know why this is different other than the fact that you, you really get the sense that the black community is, is tired of it. Yeah. And I I think there's a general, I I think that when you start looking at things like that, the things that have been talked about forever that are actually happening now, like the tearing down of Confederate statues, uh, you know, this is obviously not a political podcast, but I, I I will go to the great getting up morning, believing that flying a Confederate flag is akin to flying a a Nazi flag, um, a swastika flag to me personally. I don't know where other people Mm -hmm. feel. I think some people feel like, oh, it's our heritage and this and that. But I feel like as a believer, as a Christian, that if I'm doing something that's causing damage and harm to someone else, then I'm not following the great commandment. I'm not loving my brother as myself. And so that I see as a, as a huge yeah. transition in this movement. As I, just seeing these statues torn down uh, says something yeah. to me. And it's not that people are saying, let's fight, let's have this conversation about why they shouldn't be torn down anymore. I think a lot of people are shutting their mouths and saying, okay. I'm just not going to get into this one. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think that with the the monuments and stuff like that, I think that there is there needs to be a certain amount of humility um, that pe- that we as Christians have in sensitivity, as you said, to the way other people see it. And um, I think that for so many years, it's just kind of been something that we've either explained away or just kind of ignored. Um, And so the reason why people are starting to, why this time it might not go away is because some people are calling out things for for the way that they are, whereas in the past, maybe we we just sort of had dismissed them. So yeah, you know, we're, this, the team that I'm putting together is, it's not, just so people know too, it's not exclusive from the congregation, but they're set apart for the congregation. And so what what they're doing is they're gonna they're thinking about a plan that we can bring to to the the whole congregation so that we can start to implement maybe a a response for the immediate an immediate response, something a little bit more intermediate, and then something that would be a long term uh, 
a plan that would incorporate this into the life and the rhythms of our church. And so they're thinking about those things like resources, um, uh, who, who we can listen to locally, what Black voices, for instance, can talk to us about even just the history of Asheville. You know, um, our teens did a tour called the Hood Huggers Tour earlier this year, and I know some other congregants did the same thing. And there's a great tour right here in our neighborhood that, that talks about the, the history of um, of the black history in our neighborhood, some of the effects even that the putting in the highway had and stuff like that. And it's really helpful to understand um, where some of these things come from, uh, that they're not just sort of random uh, feelings, but they're sometimes generational feelings and to think about how we can address those. And so we'll be listening to that, but I'm not just interested in l- local um, the way this affects us locally. I, I, I was a part of a letter that was written to the Anglican um, province in North America or Anglican church in North America is a more appropriate way to say it, our province here. Um, and the reason why we, I signed that letter is because I, it's clear if you look at our, the global Anglican communion, it is incredibly diverse, but the North American, uh, our province, is is not as much, though we have some wonderful voices and congregations. And so how can we as a congregation be a part of um, advocating for a more diverse North American Anglicanism? And how can we contribute on our diocese even? Maybe that's things like helping to fund curacies, which are internships or, or church planting and stuff like that. And so that, that would be a more broad impact that we might have uh, on the church. Yeah. I think that, um, one of the things that I'm noticing in my own life, I'm a pretty opinionated and outspoken guy. Um, and one of the things, you know, I've heard from, there's a strange white man's burden that comes out in times like this with well-meaning people, who are, who are trying to do the right thing. And they say, well, let's, let's start this initiative and let's start that initiative. Mm-hmm. And, and for me personally, I, I watched this video called uncomfortable conversations with a black man. It's on mm-hmm. uh, YouTube right now. Highly recommend everybody go at least watch the first episode. Uh, it's this uh, guy in Texas, a black guy in Texas who talks about things that I'd never thought about. And one thing that struck me, I've always hated this idea of white privilege, like, Oh, you know, You've got, and I was like, I didn't, I was born poor and raised in a tough town and had, you know, trauma as a child, blah, blah, blah. But he said something that really struck me. He said, never one time in your life have you been held back because of the color of your skin. I've been held back for other things, but not for that. And it really profoundly struck me. And what I've realized is that this is a time for silent action on the part of white America. I really believe that is it is, it is our time to listen people, I, I hear all these, these have been arguments that have come up forever. They're like, well, that guy was, he was a criminal. And he, the reason why the police went after him, he was dr- blah, blah, blah. But if anybody that's seen someone react strongly and angrily, and you're like, what was that all about? Oftentimes it doesn't have to do with the initial event. It has something to do with something that's been brewing on anybody that's in any relationship can say, wow, what, where did that come from? Spouse or child? It's because we haven't been listening to the underlying percolating events. And that's what's going on right now. This is a 
volcano that has been underground for a long time that has exploded. So I personally think it's time for me to listen. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that, as I said earlier, I think that maybe the greatest, the greatest harm we could do is to, um, uh, is to speak and to do nothing. <laughs> I, I think that it might be, uh, it's also harmful to not speak and do nothing. Uh, but what we need to do is to, uh, be quiet and to do something. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I'm trying to figure out uh, and, and to prayerfully consider as a church how, how we can do that. And I'm, uh, you're right. I think that a lot of it has, if I, I don't know any Christians, I don't know, I, that's a, that's a broad statement, but I've not talked to any Christians that um, would, I've seen a lot of comments on Facebook about dismissing the black experience, but I don't know of anyone that if you sit with someone and hear their story would deny the reality of it. And I think the problem is it's just too easy to isolate in our places and to make judgments. And and it's we've all seen the importance of sitting across the table from someone. And that's why I want to I want to hear from um, Ashevillians and, and their experience. And I want to hear from Anglicans who are black and hear their experience. And I want to, I, I want to hear from them because it's, it's a lot more effective than to take our cues from uh, a world that actually, whether they think they're doing good or bad, are, are, tr- are isolating us into particular boxes. And so I, I would love to be able to get in the room with people and to hear their stories. The other thing is you had mentioned a little bit about kind of white guilt and stuff like that. I think that what we need to do as the church is to come at this from a, a, the, the, the point, a theological grounding. Uh, otherwise, it, it's untethered from that foundation. Um, it essentially is, it, it will become kind of an emotional response that I don't think will get anything done. And so I think being able to think about this as something that is is born from God uh, and seen in the life of the Trinity is a diverse uh, the three persons of the Trinity in this unified way serving the other, but also as being being created out of that Trinity in the image of God, and then the church as as a model or reflection of that to the world. And the bottom line is if we're if we are divided or if we are um, somehow um, racist, it is a, an affront to the image of God. And it is telling the world a lie about who he is and who we are as the people. And so I think that we we have to get this right. This is why it should matter. Uh, otherwise, we, we literally are telling the world a lie about God. And as we've seen, if we don't take these matters seriously, the, the world will pick up on them and, and do it. As, as the text says, the, the rocks will cry out. And so... Um, is something that we need to take seriously as a congregation because it matters uh, to God. Yeah, I think that you said something that's, that to me is very profound and as a, a follower of Christ for a lot of my life, um, that, is, that is, is something I've wrestled with and thought a lot about. I, I've struggled with the context of the church in general. When I say the church, I mean the small C Catholic church, the universal church, um, mm-hmm. that this is where the rubber meets the road. 
it's easy to show up on Sundays and say, oh, you know, Jesus is neato and this whole idea of, oh, he's my, you know, he's my best friend. Um, you know, that that's all well and good, but this is where the rubber meets the road. And I think that it's easy for lots of Christians, or maybe not easy, and I don't want to speak for every Christian, obviously, but to sort of poach different scripture that says, well, I'm doing it all right. It's okay for me to do X because, you know, scripture doesn't say I can't do that. So therefore I can I think if you go back to the great litmus test, of the great commandment, which is to love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and love your brother as yourself. If you use that as your litmus test, and then you look at the greater context of what's going on racially in this country, it seems pretty straightforward to me. Maybe it's that that's too pedantic, but I really feel like that's the starting point. Are we loving our brothers as ourselves? So that means that it's we have to step back when we start making judgments of the, you know, why the black community is rioting, why that's going on, because we're saying we're layering it with a cultural understanding rather than a Christ understanding. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? It is. It is. And and the bottom line is um, it, it does come down to um, the fact that we are a co- we are a collaborative witness. We are um, citizens, first and foremost, of a kingdom. It is it is political in that sense, right? We are a a people who find our primary citizenship in the kingdom of God, and we have a collaborative witness and a corporate. We are a corporate model uh, of of the kingdom, and so it it matters the way that we love each other, we love one another because it's not just um, doing the right thing, right? It is. It is saying something about God. Uh, it is saying something about who, and that your piece of that is a part of the overall witness of the church, which is to show the world what the new creation is now. It, we are a um, we are a picture of that, and, and to to be any other way is is to is to project a picture that is not accurate. Yeah, and I think that when I was talking with our table group last week, and we were kind of this conversation, obviously was front and center of it. Uh, we watched the new Jamie Fox movie as a group and talked about it. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about through all this is the story of the Good Samaritan, which everybody's heard, and most Christians don't really understand its context. They're like, "Oh, yeah, you should be nice to people." Well, it's deeper than that. It's it's mm-hmm. how. Those others, that meaning the the wealthy, the priest and the doctor and the wealthy merchant, the, the the wounded man that was on the road, they saw that person as like, oh, you know, they're they're us, but we're not going to take care of them. It was the Samaritan, the other that took care of the person on the road, and that's the part that I think many people have a hard time with is that we are the Samaritan. We are mm-hmm. supposed to be and called to be the other who helps, regardless of who that person is. Yeah. Absolutely, and it's it it is it is essential for our witness. We see the power of grace in Jesus, right? And we see we see in the in our model the one that the Samaritan, Good Samaritan, and and in the story is is emulating Jesus. Is we're we're called to to be in His likeness and to be humble, and that is the kingdom politic uh, is to give up ourselves for others. And we see in Jesus, a lot of people say, oh, when you preach grace, you're simply giving people a free pass. No, grace is actually more demanding. 
of us, and it also has a greater effect on those around us. It is it is powerful when we show grace. Um, it is it is life changing and transformational, not only as an outflow of our life, but in the lives of those who we help up on the road, so to speak. Yeah, and I think there's a natural tendency for all people to sort of look at uh, you know people that are maybe on the margins or whatever and say. Well, at least I'm not them, or you know, I can I could give you know food to the food bank, but I'm not going to really know these people. And 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 I'm in some ways, let's be honest, Gary. I think a lot of us do this. We look down on people that are maybe uh, a little more uncouth, or uneducated, or different than us. But th- and that's what you mean by that challenge of grace is that none of us as as believers as followers of Christ, have the luxury of saying that we are better than anyone else. Because come the great getting up morning, mm-hmm. <laughs> as they would say in an AME church, yeah. that there is going to be no one that is going to be able to stand up and throw the first stone. So it, it's just, it's it's almost like we need to have this constant reminder that we are the other and that we are supposed to behave as the other and we're supposed to love the other. Yeah, and I mean, Jesus and Matthew talks about when we serve the other, so to speak, um, we're serving him. And we see the preferential treatment he gives to the most vulnerable among us. And and then we see in the church when they even discern that the widows are, there's preferential treatment based on uh, who their ethnicity or the language they speak or whatever, that, that the church steps into action and immediately does something about it. If, if Jesus gives that sort of honor to the least of these, then um, we should not look it down on them, but we should seek to be them. Um, and that comes back to what we started with, and that's humility. So what can, as, as a parishioner of Redeemer Anglican Church, um, let, let's get a little bit more local, I guess. Um, yeah. What should I be doing as a member of this congregation in context, in light of what, what's going on around us in, in, in Asheville? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think definitely, first of all, prayer. You know, we it seems to be the thing that we that goes first, but pray, pray for this, pray for this team, even as we discern. Um, how best to implement some of these things, life-changing things, hopefully into the rhythms of our church. I think that, um, but then uh, participate, participate, whether it be in the food bank or anything, because we believe that participating isn't just doing a good deed. It's not even just about serving the other, but that it is a means of grace and that God changes our hearts um, as we participate with him in the things that he did and commissioned us to do. And so he can change us as we as we act. I think discerning how you can be active in, in our community and showing uh, love and solidarity with, with our brothers and sisters uh, across ethnic diversity. Um, but yeah, it, it, and then... It, for me, I've just, I've really focused on how am I pastoring my family? Um, my family has been talking about this almost every night at the dinner table. And we we realized that maybe my greatest um, impact will be the one that I leave on the, the four kids that sit with me at dinner who will then have their networks as they grow up to influence. Um, and so I think being what you're doing at home. And then the rest is... Yeah, I think so many times what I see is it's oftentimes just just to get real for a second, 
sometimes the most vocal and most critical are the least active. And so serve your, serve your church, serve your neighbor, serve your, um, if, if, if you, if your heart is to do something about this, this, um, the 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 boundaries and and the prejudices that that are inherent in our own lives in many ways then then be hospitable at home yeah and i i look at i look at um our church which is predominantly white mm-hmm. um and well meaning i love what you said about like the most the most vocal are often the least active i feel like it's a very active church mm-hmm. uh, of people that really want to do uh to do good things and to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could do a whole another podcast and should on prayer and the, and the importance yeah. of prayer in mm-hmm. sort of reorienting ourselves towards what is right. I think sometimes it's easy to be caught up in activity and forget that, that we need God as our sort of our, our compass. Mm-hmm. And if we're not praying, it's difficult to maintain that. But as a congregation in this, I could just hear people now going, well, you know, we need to bring in a lot of uh, new uh, uh, people of color in our church. And yeah. and, and maybe that's true. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, people will oftentimes go to where they're most comfortable. Yeah. And that can be, you know, ethnically, culturally, um, you know, uh, ideologically comfortable. But we as a church, where we are right now, this mm-hmm. congregation as it is, what sh- what would you say from the pulpit to them, Gary, mm-hmm. about what they can do practical stuff. I mean, you just laid that out a little bit, but a practical thing that we as a church should be thinking about and praying about as we move forward. Yeah. And (laughs) what you just said is a, is something that we, we talked about right away because that's, that's what we, I think out of a really good place, we say, we want to be a more um, diverse church. And, and I mean, we have some ethnic diversity in our church, very little, um, from an African American perspective, but we have some. But what we want to do, we do, we have to be realistic about what the goal is. Some, uh, I think it was one of our Anglican um, uh, priests who said, you know, black people on Sunday they want a respite from the world they come from, and they find that in a black church, you know. And so to to expect our church at this time next year to be fifty percent. Black, or even to reflect the percentage of African American population in our city, might be unrealistic. But what we want to do is to be hospitable. And so, one of the things the committee is talking about, it will be talking about, is how can we create a more hospitable culture for people coming in here? And that come, that will take a overall understanding of how the church functions at large. But it also is an individual mandate that. That every single person um, in our church must be a, a welcome presence uh, for for everyone that walks in our door. And so, how can what are some of the particularities across ethnicities that that we can be more aware of to create a more hospitable environment? How, however, what we what I really would like to do and has been my my desire from the beginning is is to 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 gain friendships uh, with other churches and to not just say hey look you know let us show you how how it's done but to go and truly lend our voices and to to learn and to listen and to find ourselves uh, as as the day of pentecost 
um, with one voice worshiping the, the God that we serve. And so I think those are the practical things that we want to do um, is, is to be hospitable presence and to um, uh, to join our voices with uh, brothers and sisters across uh the various ethnicities in our in our city. Um, obviously, our compassionate ministry is going to um, go uh, take us into all all over the place. And it, it ta- one of the beautiful things about the pantry is we see so uh, such a diversity of people. And if we're never if if you as individuals are never in a place where you're coming into contact with people like that, then then it's going to be really hard to not dictate a plan based on our expectations of others. Um, it, because that's what we do as, as people who are idolatrous. We, we just want to make, remake everyone in our own image. So if you're looking for a place, join some of our compassionate ministries um, or, or seek to yeah, participate in other avenues of being able to understand people. And that's not just ethnicities. That, I mean, that, that is, um, socio-economical and everything. And so I would encourage those sort of things. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about the, uh, you, you might remember, I don't even know if when it was maybe 20 years ago. Now there was a, a shooting in an Amish school uh, in Pennsylvania where a bunch of girls were, were murdered by this man. And, um, and then he yeah. was, the, the man was shot by the police and I'll never forget the response of that Amish community. Now people have their feelings about the Amish and they're this and they're that, and they probably don't know a lot about them, but they're deep believers and they live out their faith. And I don't necessarily agree with everything that they live out, but when that, when the family was burying the man who had been killed, the murder of their children, this Amish community came to the funeral to stand with the family of the man. And they, and they were like, why are you here? And they said, because this family is also grieving for a lost child. And that to me, no, I I can't think of another thing that a Christian community has done that speaks more greatly to the power of Christ and the redemptive healing of Christ than that right there. That if you can go to and get into that community and, and do that thing, they, they weren't there to tell them. They weren't there to admonish and to say, you killed our children. They were there to grieve and to pray with that family. And I feel like right now, our job is to grieve and pray with the black community who is and has been suffering for a long time. We are not to not necessarily tell them what to do or, or whatever, but we are, the, we are here now, in my opinion, to grieve and listen. Um, and do and just what you said, the things that we can do, which are be active in our community, uh, be involved in compassionate ministry, but to make sure that we are grieving and praying for this community. Yeah, I I saw um, the Pieta. There's several famous um, pa- paintings and sculptures of uh, the uh, Michelangelo's. You know where Jesus is being held by his mother as he's d- descended from the cross and. Last week I was painting um, and I was looking at one of those and I saw the grief on Mary's face and I realized that, you know, there's there's so much that we hold in common with people um, that we, but these, these false iso- isolating aspects of our, of our lives have created these just boundaries, but there's so many ways... Um, that we we can identify with, and and the the first way that we do that obviously is that is that we are we are um, 
followers of one who is crucified unjustly. And if anything, that should that should give us a sense of, of solidarity and at least grieving alongside and with people. You know, I have a daughter with brown skin and Sorry. It's all right. I don't I don't ever look at her and think about the color of her skin, but it did hit home with with me the other day um, when, you know, right after George Floyd was killed. And I just had to ask her, you know, does she ever worry? You know, that, that she'll grow up and have to deal with with the way people might think of her. You know, and, and she has so much there's it's a different context. I'm not I'm not saying it's the same. But I'm saying that it it struck a chord with me and and we can all relate in in various ways and, and we can all not relate in various ways. <laughs> But um, yeah, yeah, God grieves. God grieves equally for every child. He doesn't look at George Floyd as a grown man. He looks at him as, and I think any parent, um, and really any human being, can look at a a small child and and reflect on the fact that if you love that child and God loves that child exponentially more than you can ever love that child, yeah. it's incredible. And so to think about the the feeling of grief that you had around this idea of your daughter being harmed. I often reflect on in prayer, like how is God grieving for George Floyd right now and all the other, um, you know, uh, black men and women who have died needlessly for whatever reason, he is grieving them as his child and, uh, you know, as his beloved, uh, as, as we grieve for Christ coming off the cross as Mary and the Pieta grieved. That's a beautiful, by the way, this beautiful statue and a great uh, image you, you gave out. But that if we could hang on to that, I think we'll be a heck of a lot kinder to people or we will be more likely to to give them grace if we can think of it that way. Yeah, we don't grieve, I don't think, uh, apart from from Christ or, or because it's mandated that we should feel bad. We grieve with, with him. And um, that's a sort of participation with Jesus that I want to, I want to be involved with. Yeah. Well, I think that's a a, a great way to Mm. kind of tie up the conversation, Gary. I think that this is something that is an ongoing conversation. I don't think it's, I am hoping, like you said, at the very beginning of this, that it's not one of those things where, Oh, it goes on for a little while and we talk about it and then it just sort of goes back to normal. I am hoping that this, that, that this is just the tip of the iceberg and then it becomes more and it rises up and it doesn't shrink back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Brandon. I really appreciate you helping with this. Well, we'll, it's a continuing conversation, so I look forward to uh, having more with you. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks.